We've been talking a lot on this podcast about the greatest football player of all time, Lionel Messi, and his epic stateside move. Now you can join Messi as he embarks on his historic next chapter with Apple TV Plus's new documentary series, Messi Meets America. Follow along Messi's journey as he takes North America and Major League Soccer by storm, ushering in a new era with his inner Miami teammates. This series is streaming now only on Apple TV Plus. FC Cincy, ale, 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 ale. FC Cincy, ale, 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 ale. We have the hearts of lions. Do God, you but we triumph. Our city's limits carved in hearts and never set in stone. That was awesome. We tried. That was awesome. We tried. Welcome back to another episode of Offside with me, Taylor Twelman. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving week here in the United States of America and enjoyed the conference semifinals. I was in Seattle to witness Denis Bawanga do Denis Bawanga things. 37 goals in all competitions. Meanwhile, on the other side of the country, Cincinnati and Columbus, they took care of business, which sets up hell is real for the Eastern Conference final. But the big news this week Lucha Acosta, named league MVP. And one of the three number 10s in the MLS Best 11. Also in the Best 11, Berkey, Zimmerman, Miazga, Parker, Herrera, Amada, Mukhtar, Kucho, Bawanga, and Yakomakis. But I've got to get something off my chest and into your head on how do we evolve the Best 11. Every single team in Major League Soccer and in the world plays with a fullback, an outside back, a wingback, however you want to define it. They've got to be represented in the best 11. Every single team plays with a six, a defensive midfielder, the engine of the midfield, the stalwart in transition, however you want to define that. They've got to be represented. You can't have three center backs, four number tens, three nines when you define the best 11. Because the best 11, in my opinion, who is the best fullback? Who is the best six? It's okay if you leave out some names. Or you can do one better. Name a bench to the best 11. And name the best 18. The best team. And the reason why is Hani Mukhtar. Two goals in his last 18 MLS appearances. Yaimar, Gomez, Andrade. Up for MLS Defender of the Year? Doesn't make best 11? Something's got to change. Barrial, one of the best wingbacks in this league, outside backs, should have been in there. I think the best 11 can evolve. Is it the best 11? Sure. If we do that, then we've got to represent some positions that are being omitted from that selection. And if we don't want to do that, then you've got to name a bench. Because right now we are omitting some key positions that are dictating who wins the Supporters' Shield and who makes the playoffs. But enough about that. You can at me on Twitter, at Taylor Twelman, or on Instagram, at Taylor Twelman, and give me your thoughts, because in the meantime, off we go. The conference finals are set, four teams remain, and the matchups are scintillating, electric, thrilling, every synonym you can find. The conference finals are this Saturday. First, the Supporters' Shield winner, Cincinnati, aim for their first-ever MLS Cup berth, against neighbors 90 minutes away, the Columbus Crew. FC Cincinnati is two wins away, potentially, from being the kings of MLS. It's on to an all-Ohio Eastern Conference final. And then LAFC surprises Seattle Sounders, so they get to host a second straight Western Conference title game, but standing in the way, victors Hector Herrera in the red-hot, Houston Dynamo. The Houston Dynamo are headed to the Western Conference Final. Whose coach Ben Olsen will join us later in this episode. This will all go down in only one place. MLS season pass on Apple TV. So today, as I mentioned, we're going to hear from a former opponent, colleague, teammate of mine, and Ben Olsen about how far the Dynamo have gone in his first year as a manager. But we're also going to hear from you the fans. We've got a special Hell is Real segment with the match-going fans who have made the Cincinnati-Columbus rivalry one of the best 
in this league. We've got the Cincinnati Inquirer's Pat Brennan to lay out some of the local history. And then members of the supporter groups from both sides, Max Ellerby of the Cincinnati Pride and Chris Labakia of the Nordeca to help us understand what makes Saturday the biggest Ohio soccer derby of all time. Back for Vasquez, back across, Cuba's first touch, and it's in! Moreno makes no mistake, but it's the goalkeeping mistake that has cost the crew here. FC Cincinnati have struck again, they're back in front. It's one thing to be in the Eastern Conference Final. It's another to go up against your rival. Cincinnati Inquirer's Pat Brendan gives us context on Hell is Real. Unfortunately for me, you're a Philly guy. Fortunately <laughs> for all of us listening to this podcast, you've been there from the beginning for FC Cincinnati. The buzz in this city is unlike anything I've seen, especially after the first three years of Major League Soccer. I think this is going to be the first chapter that is written about this rivalry 20, 25, 30 years down the road because this is the first major game between the two with real jeopardy on the line. Has there been anything that has stood out to you about this rivalry? Yeah. As I thought back on it, I realized that the animus between the two fan bases and the two organizations was there way before these teams ever even played a match. I remember when FC Cincinnati, and it was very clear from their beginning in USL, they were going to MLS. And Columbus didn't like that. They saw Cincinnati as part of their footprint, part of their business model. There weren't a ton of season ticket holders down here in Southwest Ohio, but there were some. So FC Cincinnati was a real threat to the existence of Columbus crew in a lot of ways. And Columbus didn't want to acknowledge it. And then when these two teams finally met for the first time in the 2017 US Open Cup, and Greg Berhalter fielded more or less, I thought, a first-choice lineup in that game. Federico Higuain, mm -hmm. Justin Miram, Ethan Finley, mm -hmm. Will Trapp. You know, they went for it down here at the University of Cincinnati's Nippert Stadium, and they lost. You know, that was a shock to the system for um, some. They yeah, lost. They it's lost amazing something when that you day. Think about they that. lost something that day. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And Pat, you know this better than anyone. There's this little brother, big brother syndrome between these two cities. And it started with that 2017 Open Cup fourth round win from FC Cincinnati. Now, since then, three wooden spoons. There's been an MLS Cup. There's been a Campiones Cup for the Columbus crew. They're going to remind them of that on Saturday. However, who's got more to gain from this game, in your opinion? I'm going to say FC Cincinnati. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. No, I think you're absolutely right. It has to be FC Cincinnati because Cincinnati had that one win in the Open Cup, and that had a shelf life of years and years in this rivalry. Yep. But yep. like you said, since then, up until May of this year, Cincinnati only won one of its first nine league matches against Columbus. And Taylor, that one match was in the heart of the pandemic lockdown period in Ohio in 2020. There were no fans in Nippert Stadium to see that win. So between 2017 and this past May, Cincinnati had not been able to go to their home stadium and witness FC Cincinnati beat Columbus. Columbus just dominated this rivalry. Other than that Open Cup match of many years ago now, Columbus has all the bragging rights, has had all the success. There really is, up until FC Cincinnati, you know, Pat Noonan, Chris Albright really allowed mm -hmm. a rebirth to occur at FC Cincinnati. The makings of a rivalry, it's not just about proximity, although that's big in this case, but it's about the teams playing consistently in meaningful games yes. with six, six pointers in the standings, with trophies on the line, like, like there will be on Saturday. This is what it's all about. And this is a chance for FC Cincinnati to claw back some of the pain that was inflicted upon them by Columbus when they entered this league. Because as you mentioned, the three wooden spoons, I don't think any team was more effective at reminding FC Cincinnati how hard life in MLS could be than Columbus. <laughs> like again and again and again. It would, they were battered by Columbus. You've been to so many games at TKO Stadium. I think this podcast has done a real good job of 
transcending just our MLS mm-hmm. circles and getting outside. How would you describe the game day experience at TKO Stadium? Because here's how I described it months ago on this podcast, Pat. I said, if I blindfolded you and put you in the middle of the stadium with the Bailey and the stands fully committed as they are every single week, you would have no inkling that you were in Cincinnati, Ohio. You'd feel like you were in Western Europe at a Bundesliga game mid-table of trying to make that jump to the top three or four with Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Would you agree with that assessment or what am I missing? Absolutely. And what's cool is that in the playoffs, Taylor, it's the Bailey effect, all the standing, all the cheering they do. It started to spill out into the rest of the stadium. And that's kind of what I look to is, you know, this this is an intelligent fan base. Soccer is huge in Cincinnati. You know, soccer is huge in this city. People love the game. They understand it. That was true before FC Cincinnati. And now FC Cincinnati's just been mm-hmm. this vessel to convey that to the rest of the world. And every time there's a home match, this Saturday is going to be sold out. And it's the 18th sellout of the year for FC Cincinnati. This is an opportunity for Cincinnatians to come together at TQL Stadium and say something about who they are and what their soccer identity is and let the whole world know that they're here, they're a part of the world's game, and they have an important place in the world's game. And that's that's growing and developing every day, every week, every month, every year. But, I mean, in terms of your description of TQL Stadium, the atmosphere, it's dead on. At the very least, to put it in MLS terms, I would liken it to some of the great club environments in America's Northwest, you know, like you get with Seattle and Portland and the the Cascadia Cup rivalries, throw Vancouver in there as well. Um, It's one of the best environments that I've seen. And I've been really fortunate in my job, Taylor. I get to travel this team with this team everywhere on the road. I've sampled almost every stadium and atmosphere Mm -hmm. there is to sample in this league. And few compare with, you know, maybe there's some bias in that, but I don't think there's any bias, and I'll I'll tell you right now, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, as good as anything that comes, Toronto, Montreal in 2016, as good as it comes, there is a different element to TKO Stadium, and even new lower.com field, it's as good as it comes, and that's where I want to end this, Pat, because you can give some perspective on this. As long as I've been in the professional world of soccer, Columbus has been the home for U.S. soccer, U.S.-Mexico. However, Cincinnati hosted U.S.-Mexico, and it was a different level. And I did that game, and I remember saying to John Champion, it's almost as if FC Cincinnati took a little piece from Columbus and said, we're doing it just that much better. Do you think that plays a part in 107 countries around the world with Apple TV seeing what they're going to experience on Saturday night? Absolutely. You have your head in the sand if you don't think that there's an undercurrent of the yep. U.S.-Mexico match. And look, I, I went to Ohio State University. I, I lived four great years in Columbus, and I followed the crew in that time. The USA-Mexico World Cup qualifier every four years on U.S. soil is part of not just the soccer culture in Columbus, it's part of the sports culture, period. And it's up there with Ohio State Buckeyes mm-hmm. football, Columbus Blue Jackets, NHL hockey. It's every bit as important, if not more, than those things. And they lost that. That was another thing that Cincinnati and TQL Stadium took from as much as Columbus lost something in that 2017 Open Cup match, they lost something much more tangible and with much bigger consequences, I think, when the USA-Mexico World Cup qualifier got moved down to Cincinnati. And every time... I think knowing Cincinnatians the way that I do and their sense of sometimes being snubbed by the rest of the state of Ohio, not mm-hmm. always feeling like they get the respect that they want and deserve. And at this point, not always wanting the respect, to be frank. But <laughs> I think every time you go to TQL Stadium for Cincinnatians, it's a chance to justify that USA-Mexico mm-hmm. belongs in Cincinnati and that other big high-profile matches that will come to TQL Stadium belong down here and not in Central Ohio. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the the world will see that now because of Apple TV, the no blackouts being on in 107 Absolutely. countries. 
there's an element to an introduction to what Ohio is, what Cincinnati is, uh, come Saturday night. Before I let you go, Pat, you turn on the TV, you're getting ready for a game, you hear my voice over under two and a half minutes when you want to turn off the TV or put it on mute. Over. Oh, I like you, Taylor. I like you, Taylor. I think you just you do it. Oh, I got over two and a half minutes. I would have said maybe like three no, and man. a half. You look, we <laughs> you do a great job. I Damn think it. You, I was hoping you, for the under. I know you don't like when I compliment other broadcasters, but I think you're the best at what you do, brother. <laughs> you're the, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you. <laughs> You do a great job, and I think you're the best at what you do. And uh, For a guy from Philadelphia, Ohio has changed you. The Philadelphian in you would have roasted me right now on this, yet you're now, yeah, you're now I'm, from Cincinnati. I'm simple and quaint now, Taylor. <laughs> Soft-spoken and kind. Come on back now. <laughs> I, and I'm wearing the Kelly yeah, Green sweatshirt, right. Pat that's Brennan. Right. Thanks for joining Taylor, us, thank dude. you, buddy. <laughs> From the beginning of Major League Soccer, Columbus Crew, the first club in league history. What does Hell is Real mean to them? This time on the road for Slamakia of the Nordeka. And now there's a lot of space. And Galisay is off his line. And a chance from the halfway line. And Kucha knows where that was going. Right down the middle, into the back of the net. And Columbus Crew are off to the conference final. Chris, I say the words FC Cincinnati. What's what comes to mind? Uh, wooden spoons. <laughs> Honestly, I think the most exciting part to this, and I was doing a little research just in Major League Soccer history, and I get it, it's 27, 28 years. This is really only the second time a natural rival is going to play for a conference final. 2016 Toronto versus Montreal, right? And so when I think of hell is real, it, naturally everyone in MLS says, oh, it's very new. But I grew up in St. Louis, Cincinnati, Columbus. That's a real rivalry. What is it when Col Columbus people hear Cincinnati? The, the main things that Columbus soccer fans think of when uh, when we think of Cincinnati are the fact that they're a little bit annoying, they're a little bit entitled, and they really haven't paid their dues, if you will, yet, um, even though they do have those three wooden spoons. So you guys beat Orlando, FC Cincinnati beats Philadelphia. Was it pressure or privilege when you found out you guys were going to be playing on the road against Cincinnati? I mean, let's be honest. We were kind of in the catbird seat. We either get one more game, Eastern Conference final at our brand new house or the opportunity to go to their brand new house and embarrass them. Uh, there was no wrong answer. Uh, whether we're traveling there or hosting here, it's it's gravy either way. Yeah, I go back to the first ever Hell is Real 2017 U.S. Open Cup fourth round. You guys lost. How do Columbus Crew fans remember that. And quite honestly, since then, it's been three wooden spoons. It's been an MLS Cup. It's been a Campione's Cup. I almost feel like other than the first hell is real, it's been dominated primarily by you guys. Oh, it absolutely has. Um, and a lot of us remember that as kind of the moment where we had to sit up and take notice, uh, both of their clubs and of the fan base. Um, especially knowing that they were going to come to to MLS and that we were going to have to face them at least twice a year. And then everybody has had in the back of their mind that there's always been the possibility of a playoff matchup. Um, and so, the, you know, I'm not going to say we look back on it fondly. Uh, it was a tough loss. It was a really, really tough loss. Um, but it's definitely fueled the fire, if you will. Is there one moment that that stands out to you crew fans that say, you know what, this is the moment we remember. And obviously that's going to be the Eastern Conference final Saturday night. I understand that. That is yeah. going to be the biggest game between you two teams. But up to this point, is there one moment that stands out for you guys in Columbus? No, this rivalry, especially since they joined MLS, has been chock full of moments from, you know, Steven Moreira tying it up to snatch a tie from the jaws of defeat. Caleb Porter shushing the crowd not once but twice. <laughs> Cucho catching a beer and chugging the beer on the field. Some asshat fan throws a beer on the field and Cucho scoops it up and drinks it. It's been absolutely full of moments like that and that are 
that are rivalry defining that you you can't pick just one. Um, the, making the trip from here to there is 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 an experience in and of itself because Cincinnati's not a bad place to spend a Saturday afternoon. So you get up, you go down, you have some brunch, then you go to the game, then you you know it's the entire thing is spectacular on every level. That's where Cucho won me over, by the way, because oh, there's yeah. one thing to be have a beer thrown at you or whatever, but then to pound the beer, dude, yep. I'm all in. You got me. And you won me over. I, I, you are mine. Yeah. Go to that little over 100-mile drive on I-71 between the two cities. And about 30 miles outside of Columbus, for those that are listening, there's this awesome black billboard with the white letters. They're all capital, and it says, hell is real. Chris what is it about that sign is so significant to you guys? I think it's going to be the same answer to Cincinnati, but just what that means to what this is for the state of Ohio. You know, I think I was probably 35 years old before I realized that that sign is so close to Columbus. In my head, <laughs> as a kid growing up, I was always the halfway point between the two cities. Like we're passing the sign and we're almost there, right? As I get older, I realized, no, that's like that's like 10 minutes away. Um, so it's 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 a great landmark. It's it's kind of always been a funny joke that you know Ohio. We take a lot of uh, flack for being nothingness, and so it's it's always been uh, kind of an inside joke, but also a point of pride. Uh, and then this rivalry came along, and there were a lot of things, a lot of questions about what are we going to call the rivalry? Because we got the Trillium Cup, and then there's the I-95 Derby, and there's Cascadia, and there's all of those cute rivalry names. Uh, so what are we going to call ours? And that the Hell is Real thing kind of organically came up. And both fan bases embraced it. It's one of the few things we agree on, and it really has taken off from there. Um, the sign is, I don't know if you know, the sign has seen better days. It needs a lot of love. And uh, in the offseason, I kind of want to start a, a campaign with uh, some of the, the supporters from Cincinnati, get some, some teamwork going together to restore it or do something. My only argument to that, Chris, is why would you restore a sign that says hell is real? It should look like hell, to be honest with you. Like, it really <laughs> Bye, shouldn't be pristine and clean and, and just precise everything about it should be crap hell <laughs> is real just like metaphorically what the hell hell is yeah 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 and you know it's funny that you say that because all of the internal communications amongst the nordeca board and i'm sure the same is real with the uh, the Cincinnati supporter groups we've all signed off everything with hell is indeed real this week because this week is it's hell week for all of us where do you think this game's gonna rank because here's here's my point of view of this chris I think when this league history is starting to build up and Columbus is one of the few franchises that has history and can say they have history, these rivalries, they need big moments like this. Ohio State, Michigan, you guys are living in it. I think this is going to be the first chapter that's written. And the reason why is the winner host MLS Cup. There's exactly. more jeopardy on the line than any of the other games. The fan bases know it. The atmosphere is going to be there. I think, you tell me if I'm wrong, that the first chapter of this rivalry is going to be Saturday, December 2nd, 2023. I would call it the the last half of the first chapter, but absolutely. Uh, this is going to be a defining moment in the rivalry. Whoever wins this game is going to have bragging rights and be able to hold that over the other for years and years, whether you know it never happens again or that it happens every year for the next 15, where there's always the first and you never forget your first. How many wooden spoons are the Columbus Crew faithful going to bring into TQL Stadium on Saturday? Uh, I would be surprised if there are less than a thousand. <laughs> Chris, I appreciate you taking the time joining us. Dude, that was great. Yeah, thanks very much. They started from the bottom, now they're here. FC Cincinnati Supporter Shield winners hosting their older brother, Max Ellerby of the Pride. What's interesting to me, Max, is like when I really see Columbus, Cincinnati, it is a big brother, little brother. And I think the most impressive part to me is Columbus wants to own the big brother. And yet the little brother came in and kind of punched Big Brother in the face with everything off the field that's gone on in Cincinnati, the stadium, the fan base, 
U.S., Mexico, all of that. Am I right to read into that, that you guys still have that chip on their shoulder that, you know what, hang on a minute. I get it, Columbus. You've been doing this for 20-some-odd years, but we're going to do it a little differently. Always. Uh, that That's Cincinnati in a nutshell. Uh, we're a big little city. Um, we love Cincinnati. It's not Ohio. It's not North. It's not South. It's not East. It's not West. It's the Republic of Cincinnati. We're always punching above our weight class. You know, 2017, the big bad wolf comes into town and they meet a bigger, badder wolf in uh, GB Fall. Uh, heads the ball to himself, looping header over the keeper, pandemonium, and nothing's ever the same from that moment. You know, we, we get on the national stage and, and we show that Cincinnati belongs in MLS. We eventually get the bid and, uh, you know, the crew, while imperiled, stays in the league thankfully, and we have this rivalry. Now, hasn't gone our way the last few years. We've we've stumbled, notably, uh, but we've really turned it around. The ownership group um, got a lot of uh, MLS talent in the front office. That's made a huge, huge difference. They've made some great acquisitions that have performed excellently on the field, and now suddenly, TQL Stadium's the hardest place to play in the league. I think it's amazing, Max, when you think about 2017 fourth round U.S. Open Cup, you guys surprised Greg Berhalter and the Columbus crew. And yet since then, it's been all, all Columbus. They won MLS Cup. They won Campione's Cup and three wooden spoons. Like you you look Mm -hmm. at it and I feel like for all the great things that this year has come, Supporter Shield, MVP, Coach of the Year, Defender of the Year, you can go up and down the line. One of the best seasons in MLS regular season history, yet it all comes down to Saturday. And you and I both know all the pressure in the world is going to be on your team. It's going to be on what you guys do because you're at home. The fan base is there. Is there anxiety there or is there more so you're you're relishing the opportunity? You know, it's both. And, and, and of course, yeah, the pressure's on us. But at the same time, we won the, the, the supporter shield. We went from spoons to yeah. <laughs> a relatively successful year uh, to being one of the best teams in MLS history. And as far as I'm concerned, I know playoffs, big deal. Of course, you want to get that star above your logo. But when you are undoubtedly, unquestionably the best team over the course of the entire mm-hmm. year, a very weird year, by the way, with super congested schedules and extra competitions to play, which have been great. But for me, the supporter shield is the larger trophy here. Of course, we would want to live, win the cup. Of course, we want to beat Columbus, especially at home. So, yeah, pressure's on, anxiety's there. But um, I think at this point, we look at it as an opportunity. Yep. And, and, you know, the old saying, they have to play us. They have to play Luciano Acosta. They have to get past Yerson Mascara. Hopefully, Matt Miazga will see. They have to get past Aaron Lupenza. They, they have a big uh, job on their hands as well. Now, of course underestimate Columbus crew at your peril. Mm-hmm. Great team. Their coach has been extremely successful this year and, and they've they've picked up some some great additions in, in Rossi. So we'll see what happens on the day. But uh as a Cincinnati and our ascendancy, I can't say it's enough, but I think that that no matter what happens, this has been a surreal transcendent year uh akin to twenty seventeen. You know, it's it's something that's put us on the map, and and regardless of what happens in twenty twenty three, I don't think that this team is is done growing and getting better. So we're going to be a threat going forward, especially under Noonan and Albright, uh, two guys that know this league extremely and well. Two guys I know extremely well. I've known Pat Noonan since we were five. Uh, hell is real. <laughs> I love the fact that the billboard so accurately represents. Cincinnati and Columbus, quite honestly, the billboard looks like pure shit. And I love that because it is hell is real. (laughs) For you guys at the Pride, what is hell is real? It's emblematic of of Cincinnati's place, honestly, in Ohio. Uh, You know, I, I I keep saying this phrase, the Republic of Cincinnati. We don't identify with Ohio. We don't identify with the rest of the state. And and Columbus really tries to own Ohio. Mm -hmm. Take it. It's yours. Fine. We are the Republic of Cincinnati. And insofar as we are this this little dot within a a state that, let's say, maybe have ideological differences than Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, there's a whole lot of nothing in between. And it kind of, you know, hell is real. This farmer that erects this sign to, uh, (laughs) let's let's just say, uh, espouse his values to passersby. 
uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Ohio is hell. As a Cincinnatian, I agree. It is. That's why I live in Cincinnati, not Ohio. So from the Cincinnati fan, I'm like, yeah, you're Columbus, you're Ohio. When we play each other, hell is real. We are competing for supremacy in this otherwise barren hellscape of culture and population from these uh, microcosms within this weird state uh, where two cities come to clash in the middle for bragging rights. And it's odd because, you know, we're also Midwestern. We don't hate each other as people. We're damn near the same people. We're an hour and a half away. But, you know, it's sports, it's passion, it's pride. It's we get to brag about our city. Columbus gets to wear the worst two colors possible, if you could combine together from a Cincinnati perspective, yellow. And we get to settle it on the field. Again, unfortunately, we haven't had the run of it lately, but they are never going to be able to wash away the stink of losing to a USL team from a goal from a guy in GB Fall that you had to dig out of a Kazakhstani league on a free, <laughs> uh, a place that one of my colleagues said you wouldn't take a free plane ticket to go see. That guy drops a goal on him. Their fans try to punch Greg Berhalter after the match. Couldn't have been a better experience as a Cincinnati fan. And here we are again, uh, having to prove ourselves on a rather large scale. Max, I think 20 years from now, when the book on Hell is Real is starting to come together, I've said over the past 48 hours on multiple radio stations in Ohio, both Columbus and Cincinnati, that this is going to be the first chapter. And here's why. Your head coach, Pat Noonan, said it's one thing to have rivals that are based on proximity. It's another to have big moments, big games. And I just get the feeling the way the Eastern Conference has lined up, the way both ownership groups are set up for success. This is going to be the first of many to come. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is a new this is the Albright Noonan era. There is something different about this. Noonan and Albright are special guys. You know that more than I do. And they have really transformed this club into something completely different, something it never has been before. And I think this is going to be the first really official in the MLS era test of those two systems. Hopefully both teams show up healthy and we, we, be, we see both full strength teams against each other slugging it out for the country to see. Hector Herrera delivers with the left foot. It's there! Now moving on to the Western Conference Final. The surprise of the playoffs this year, in my opinion, and quite honestly, in everyone's opinion, after 20-plus years with DC United, Ben Olsen, Houston Dynamo manager, moved on to Houston, Texas. How's it all going for him into Saturday? Ben Olsen. Ben, 1991, City Slickers came out. Billy Crystal was the main character. And I feel like Ben Olsen is the new Billy Crystal that went from D.C. to Houston, Texas. Yeah, buddy, it looks great on you. Are you surprised? The, yeah, th this whole thing's been a bit of a surprise, you know. And I, I've said this publicly that I needed a surprise. I needed to shake it up. I needed to just get out of there for a little bit and... and take a new look kind of leap and uh i didn't know what it looked like and that's kind of most of the times in my life when i take that leap it's rewarding right whether it's doing the art thing or it was being the president of uh an nwsl team or trying my luck you know in television uh, and then um you know or, or this big change of coming to Texas and it, it's been um, it's been wonderful the family has adjusted uh, much quicker than I thought that that was always a, a real concern of mine especially I had a high school uh, girl who was you know not looking forward to moving and uh, but that she's 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 good and and so that makes it a lot easier and then the job has gone uh, way better than expected way better than expected is an understatement and yet there still is this level of I'm going to use your words, half compliments, whatever it may be. Some of that is because the Houston Dynamo just haven't been relevant since Dominic Kinnear left. But you guys have exceeded expectations from my point of view, from where I saw you guys. But have you exceeded your expectations? Yes. 
Yeah, I, I can't lie. I'd like to sit here and be like, yeah, this is exactly where I thought we'd be. No, that's not the case. You know, we, we went into this and, and we wanted to build a foundation first and foremost and, you know, make sure the guys are clear in who we're going to be and, and build culture and get us fitter and clean up a lot of the yep. stuff. The shit. the shit that yeah. was going on here that needed to be changed in my mind and in Asher's mind and, and Pat Onstead's and ownership's mind. And we've earned compliments, but we've also earned backhanded compliments because of mm-hmm. what this last decade looked like. And you know, I was used to that in some ways with DC United. Uh, and every time we win, it was like, well, you know, there, there was some. So we're, we're a little bit used to that. And, and you can rally behind that. Uh, but really, it, uh, for us to be in the situation we're in right now, Yes, it, it surpassed my expectations of the year. And the fact that we also held a trophy midway through the year mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and brought a trophy to the city. These are these are wonderful things for this club. Uh, you know, we could talk later or, you know, maybe next year about how we sustain this. Uh, that's the real right. trick of success in this league is, uh, you know, you could throw a lightning can strike right with teams. We've seen this throughout the history of the league and things just work out. You're on a honeymoon and, and the ball rolls your way. You get a couple, you know, fortunate bounces and, and beliefs kind of rolls in a positive way. But sustaining it and the teams that have done this, Philly, Seattle, you know, LAFC, these teams that have, have just stayed there, that's the trick. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy this now. We'll try to take advantage of this moment in time to, to try to hold another trophy and then we'll get we'll get to work, and we're always doing it behind the scenes already to sustain this, which again I said is a it's not an easy thing. Go back to your first month on the job. What was the one thing you wanted to instill in this team, or should I say, you wanted to change from years past? I only heard about what was here before. Uh, I, w- I was very intentional about not going back there and just doing what I believed in in how I create culture. And again, making sure the players were very, very clear on who, how we were going to go about things, right? Make sure we're, we're competitive and we're creating an environment that it's healthy to, to compete our asses off. And I knew we needed to get fitter. And we had to take advantage of our home field, which is one of the, I think it's the best field in the country. But we also have a unique home field advantage that Dallas has and Austin has. Maybe Salt Lake has. Maybe Colorado a little bit, and maybe some teams that have yep. turf, right? Where you come here, it's a hundred degrees in the summertime, and you played here. I played. I, I came here as an opponent, and it it sucked. It's like playing in a sauna, dude. <laughs> they used to beat you up, and then you'd leave tired, exhausted, and it would affect you a week later. So, making sure that that's our advantage and not our disadvantage. And the one thing physically that we worked on and and our sports science department has worked on is to make sure that we aren't deconditioning and that we were going to be the fitter team at home. Because at the past, when you train in that, it also can put you backwards. So you have to be so intentional and sharp about how you go about the weeks. So then on game day, when it's 105 degrees in game day, the opponent's team can't get to the, the high speed running and the sprint distance that that we're able to do at home and then put a style of play together that is resonates with, you know, the Houston culture and, and what we want to see as well. So, yeah, I give our sports science group a, a lot of credit for that. I mean, part of the reason why I was so excited for you and I've known you for a long time, Ben, is there's very few people that when they lose their first job and it was a long tenure for you, both as a player and as a coach in D.C., you got to do many other things to kind of find who you were and also make you hungry to go back to this. And I see someone from the outside. This is from 15,000 feet. But I see someone that is more complete in their approach. They have a better understanding of who they are as a person and as a manager. And three, it looks like you've learned new things. How have you evolved from your time in your last season with DC United to obviously your first season with the Houston Dynamo. Well, to me, it starts with energy. I mean, when I'm passionate about something, when when I when I when my battery's full, and I want to go after mm-hmm. something, I usually end up being somewhat successful in it. I've been very clear by the end of DC United, my term there it was just I, I just didn't have the the love and the juice that you need, uh, the enthusiasm to do this job. If you lose that, you know, everybody can smell it. And 
it's just not the right recipe uh, to have success. So I, I think that's the the first thing. Um, I, I also, there, this is a new project. That was more about sustaining something with DC. Yeah. Yep. This, the freshness yep. between me being fresh and excited and, and, and enthused and this new project, a blank canvas of putting together a new staff, a new team, create a new culture, right? All these things were so fresh. And that gave me even more excitement about this project. So that's kind of culturally, whatever, selfishly. But as far as the game itself, seeing the game differently, um, sometimes you have to step away. Sometimes you do have to step away to learn and, you know, looking at other coaches, watching the game and uh, what do I want my team to look like when you have this blank canvas, right? Again, sustaining yep. it and trying to make the playoffs and grinding and doing what we did there versus like, okay, you can kind of, in almost an expansion team, start to build something. And what does that look like? So the opportunity itself presented change. It's amazing too, Ben, because you you and I have been around this league. Anytime you have 17 plus signings, departures, that amount of turnover to have the immediate success like this, it's almost unheard of. So that momentum that you've carried into the playoffs, I get what you're saying by the half half-assed comment compliments, the backhanded compliments. I get that to a certain extent. However, the people I'm talking to, and you did it with the year with me at ESPN, everyone inside MLS, they don't want to play you. They want nothing to do with you, in large part for what you did in the Open Cup final against Inter-Miami in their building. It all of a sudden opened everyone's eyes to saying, holy shit, I do not want to play the Houston Dynamo right now. Do you feel that going to L.A., even though BMO Stadium, LAFC, Western Conference Final, your margins are so slim, I still feel Steve Trundle in that group, they don't really want to play you in the well, moment. I, we're certainly the underdog, right? I, well, we couldn't be more of an underdog story. Yeah, but you love I, that. I, I, I've lived it. I've lived it for, for, <laughs> for a long time. Um, I, I don't know whether or not they're happy or you know, a, a little bit concerned when they saw all that we're going to come to their building and we got past Kansas City. I, I, I think when we, when you watch us, there is a there's a fearlessness about this crew. Uh, there's a little bit mm-hmm. of that house money feeling that we carry. There's a little bit of a chip of being Houston and not being fairly disrespectful. Again, it's not anybody's fault. We've in some ways the organization has earned that disrespect when you have a a decade like like we did. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know if they they hit them. Uh, Those back-to-back wins that you had in a four-day span, though, how much do you tap into that going well, into Saturday's well, game? We, we we looked we looked at them. It's not they're not even worth going to look at. Um, I know why you wouldn't, but why would you not to the listeners? Because at every home? game in the league is 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 very different, right? You look at the starting lineups; they don't compare, right? Our lineup yep. and the lineup that we're going to play, and the lineup that they're going to play. Okay. Second of all, L.A. is a very different animal in the regular season to when the lights come on. That's the reality. Yep. They all turn it up because they've been there and they know what it takes. Uh, the other part is our home game was 100. It was hot. <laughs> and L.A., you know, came in. There. I, 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 you know, I saw it in their eyes that they were <laughs> fairly interested. They were just interested enough in that game. Uh, and then going away, look, we played them and um, we were under it. You know, it was a real gritty performance and they had a mixed bag lineup and the field was mm-hmm. terrible. It was when they were putting on concerts yes, every three days and the field was terrible and they couldn't play soccer. So uh, it was just a different, it, 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 if we're, we're going back, I, I decided not to even go back there. The picture of them right now is the last few games in the playoffs. And that's what we'll dissect because that's what we can expect. Uh, because uh, again, I said they're 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 a different animal once once the real games, quote unquote, real games uh, come come. When the lights are on, Denny Bowanga special thirty seven goals in all competitions. Ben, you and I have seen this league along. That's the second most ever, and he can break that record come Saturday. How do you stop him? Cross, you've been you've seen it. I've seen it. I I don't. There's talk about wingers or tackers in this league. I mean, out wide. Is there anybody you will, oh is there anybody word. you remember in this league that's that scary? Uh, 
Miguel Almiron's mm-hmm. the only other one in yeah. transition, and he, they're different players though. Castillo in that. for a few months in Dallas, like guys like yeah. that that just. Uh, it, but he he's got a real, uh, he's got a short memory. He's relentless. All yes, he, he wants does. to do is go and score, and he'll do it and do it and do it again. And uh, he's a difficult guy to stop because he has the physical tools. Uh, he can create his own shot. He moves well off the ball. Um, you know, there's not a lot. Uh, you know, he, he is a, a nice smell for where the ball is going to land in the box or to get on service. He's a complete. He's a complete attacker. Uh, so it's it's a collective, making sure again we understand where he is and and what what he's capable of in transition. It's not just him. It's it's how he's delivered the ball. So. Uh, it's it's the backs, it's the midfielders, it's how we repress so they can't find them as as quick. So the, it's mm-hmm. it's every line. It, it's it's a collective job, and and um, and then you got to make a save. You got to make a save or two, and you also have to bail some bail him out when he's in isolation. You got to get some help, uh, and you're gonna have to uh, be be fairly perfect over there. I think when we reflect on what you've done this year, beginning of the year, you said, I've got to find Hector Herrera and get him to be the leader on and off the field that we all know he can be. He's delivered, Ben. Best 11 season. Has anything surprised you about coaching him? I knew he was good. I didn't. I think we all knew how good Hector Herrera was when he came to this league. So it was a big sign. He's coming from one of the best clubs in the world, World Cups. Uh, I didn't know... His 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 deep lying playmaking ability, his vision, uh, his final product, just the overall quality and composure, the way he reads the game, uh, his finishing ability, his range of passing. He's just such a wonderful connector, and he's got such a nice pulse on the ball and and comfort level that gives everybody else pause. He's a tough guy to to press. Uh, he can play one touch. He's still a, a better athlete than people give him credit for. He can still drive by guys and add plus ones into the midfield. He's lovable. You know, uh, I, I tell this story the first day I saw him. It's a hug. It's like it's a it's a hug. And usually when I can have that connection with a player and there there is that as the foundation, I'm good. You know, and he's he just really is a. I think feels a responsibility of coming here. I think he took a couple of shots last year because he didn't do well. He didn't come here and light it on fire. It was a new team. He was injured. The World Cup was looming. You think, you know, well, I wouldn't play through an injury either if the World Cup was looming. Uh, so he took some heat for that. And I, I thought he, I think he he took that, took that personal. Now for him, the challenge for all of us is, can he sustain that? And when we talk about take advantage of now, but also sustain it for the next two, three years. That's going to be his challenge and our challenge to keep him and design this to keep him at a really high level. He won me over, Ben. He won me over because last year was difficult. This year easily could have been the kind of guy where you've come in and you're at the tail end of your career. I'm going to mail it in. I'll go through the motions. He is not. He's delivered way more than I thought he could. He's way more all around, but more so, and you know this better than me, the players around him, his energy is contagious. How often do star players in our league, if they're not respected, often players around them will go, you know what, F off. I don't want anything to do with you. He's got your group, whether it's Griffin Dorsey, looking like Cafu at times, the collective all of a sudden, because it starts with him, he came in this year and basically raised his hand without raising his hand saying, I'm going to be better for it. I think his leadership off the ball, off the field, has impressed me more. Am I wrong on that? No, no, no. It starts on the field, right? Like you can you can be a great leader, uh, but in the end, if you're not doing it on the field, yep. players will yep. start to. I'm not buying what you're selling here. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. he, he, you know but he's just been so good, and he's just a guy they want in the lineup, uh, even if it's 80, 90 percent. He just, you know, he's such a big part of us. And then, yeah, I, I have been impressed with him off the field. He understands the moment, uh, keeps things loose, but he understands. Uh, when to turn the screw a little bit and, and what the group needs. So I rely on them quite a bit. We we speak a lot. It's terrible. You know, my my Spanish is terrible. His English is terrible. It's a riot <laughs> when we try to speak. But uh, we figured out. We we get through it and 
a lot of hand gestures and, and pictures and things like that. But we, we, we get there, man. We get there. Uh, last one for you, Ben. We're talking on Wednesday. What's going to keep you up at night preparing for this game on Saturday? There's so many. Give me one the, um, thing. You know the, the the physicality and and athleticism that this team brings when it's it's playoffs. They 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 do turn it up and they have a they move very well around the field and they cover a lot of ground. You know we we have to continue to stay with with who we are, but add a few tweaks in it. But they're they're athletic and and guys like Boanga and Oliveras, their their transition speed and and quality of the team is, if anything, that. Doesn't worry me, but it's certainly something we are are spending quite a few hours on on how to combat and and make sure that we can go toe to toe with with the champs. How many games into your television career did you say, you know what, I don't want well, to do this it was shit? After I'm going about back the third, when you pulled me into that room, you were like, I just don't think this is for you, pal. <laughs> uh, I, I should credit you for getting back with the coaching route when you told me like. Look, Don't. you're not bad. It's not you. It's just you're not good, and it's just not. I don't know. There was fun, man. I had a blast. I, I still I'll thank you publicly. That was so fun. You and John and you guys babysitting me for uh, a few months. We had fun, and buddy. We had fun. But the Houston Dynamo fans do not want their manager thinking Taylor Twelman. I already gave them two MLS cups. You don't need to give them yeah, anymore. It's, dude. Uh, no, it was. Dude, good luck. This is awesome. I can't believe it. You're in Texas. You are in Texas with a smile on your face and your family's happy. Life gives you lemons when you least expect it, brother. Amen. Thanks, T. That is all from us today. I hope you really enjoyed those conversations. I love getting into the nitty gritty with the fans because I know Saturday is going to be massive. But two of those people are going to be busting their butts along with their respective fan bases to make Saturday their own. I also appreciate Pat Brennan, adopted son of Cincinnati, for his expertise on Hell is Real. And of course, Ben Olson. Best of luck to him and the Dynamo. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can call us 646-571-8496. You can email me at offsidepodwithtaylor at gmail.com. And as always... You can yell at me on Twitter. See ya. Offside with Taylor Twelman is a Major League Soccer podcast produced by Apple TV and Rain Delay Media. Our executive producers are Peter Moses and John Yales. John was our editor. Michael Janot was our engineer. Jonah Buchanan was our associate producer. Iggy Monda and Jonah were our researchers. Music was composed by Brian Decker. And I'm your host, Taylor Twelman. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts. Should there be a number six on there? Yaimar Domez Andrade? I said that wrong. Fuck off. Yaimar. <laughs>